Welcome to the Don't Die Podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Yeah, we do. Um, it's just Bob today. Chuck's not here. Mike doesn't have a microphone. I wanted to talk directly to all our friends out there. Um, you know, most of this is about don't die from drugs and, and often suicide is a part of drug death that are, it's just a part of this whole horrible thing that's been going on in America the last 15, 20, 25 years, rising every year. Um, and we all got some horrible news this week in general, but this morning in particular that um earlier this week kate spade the great you know designer bringer of great joy to american women's uh uh, bags and uh killed herself and then this morning anthony bourdain and you know last year chester bennington and chris cornell and and just a lot of people. And every time somebody dies like this, people text me immediately, email me, call me, want me to go on CNN and talk about drugs and talk about death. And as the years have worn on, I just I just get less and less interested in trying to um, talk about the individual's death and just more interested in talking about depression and about alcoholism and about addiction, you know, so people can understand. So I decided about a half hour ago, we're going to do one podcast and I'm going to tell you about, and and this is all inspired by Dave Navarro, the great guitar player from Jane's Addiction. He, He released a thing this morning talking about his own depression and battle with suicide and and uh, so I decided to do mine. So I often think of killing myself, often. At least, I mean, I don't measure it, but it at least once a month or twice a month. And it's a component of some people's depression because you want the depression to lift. Um, you you get into a spiral. You you get into some deep darkness and somehow through the years you have coping strategies to pull yourself out of that. And I have those things and those things are Dave Navarro and Mike Mart. And, you know, I can tell you I'm only alive because of my friends. They've always been there for me. One of them at crucial times, my entire adult life. And I want to thank those people for being there for me. And the only thing that the individual who suffers from suicide ideation or depression slash alcoholism, drug addiction, anxiety, it's all the fucking same thing to me. I've got it all. The only thing that seems to help keep me alive are people. Not a program, not a book, not a doctor, not a theory, people. And for some reason, a lot of these, the tragedies that we've heard, I believe didn't reach out. 
So the only responsibility of the person who suffers from depression, addiction, anxiety, all these devastating and crippling and destructive and deadly problems is to reach out, to let one person know how you felt. And I can tell you that, um, what is it now, 2018, 17 years ago, I wanted to kill myself and I had a plan. I was serious about it. I was five years sober. I had worked the steps of AA and I was fudging on it for days. And I I decided I'd call a friend who I thought wouldn't judge me. And I called my friend Dick Rude. And I said, dude, I'm thinking about using or killing myself. And he said, me too. Now, this is long before the Me Too movement. He said, me too. I've been thinking, I've been really depressed lately. That formed a bond with he and I for years. Like, I just always thought of Dickie. Like, Dick's a guy that knows. Dick's a guy that understands me what I go through because he has it and he goes through it. And my friend Kenny has it and my friend Pete has it. And all you have to do is join in union with a bunch of people who have it and reach out. Now, this this kind of thing is going to be frowned upon by the medical profession and by all sorts of experts about suicide. I have it. I've written the note to my son. I felt hopeless, helpless, and lost just as Anthony Bourdain did last night. And I didn't do it because there was only one thing that kept me from doing it, and that was another person. We have to start, and I'm not talking about the public. The public doesn't have to understand suicide, depression, addiction. I don't give a fuck if the public understands. The people who suffer from it like I do need to understand that we need people. We need to put aside our pride. We need to not isolate. We need to reach out. We need to tell people how we're feeling because I've been doing that for 30 years and it's worked every time I've been in that spot. I'm not saying now that two years from now, you're not going to hear that I killed myself. I'm not saying that. I'm saying hopefully two years from now on the days that it strikes me and that I'm thinking about it and that I'm feeling this world is a hopeless piece of shit and I want out and it doesn't matter that I have children and it doesn't matter that I have money and that it doesn't matter that I have success in life. None of that matters. The The public's reaction to Anthony Bourdain's suicide or Kate, Kate Spade's suicide, um, she was so rich. I heard that a hundred times as if wealth is a preventative medicine from depression. It's, it's insane how stupid our country is. Right? So, so aside from all those things I have in my life, I also have depression. And I've been on every medicine known to man since I was 13 years old. None of it works. 
most of the people that we're talking about who have committed suicide in the last two years all were on the same medicines that Big Pharma keeps telling us are the cures for depression, though people on them keep killing themselves, though the suicide rate keeps doubling every 10 years with all this great fucking medicine that saves people from depression. No, it doesn't. People do. Communities do. Love does. And since we're a society that doesn't have much of community and doesn't have much love in it or respect for one another in it, we are seeing the increase in suicide. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. There's thoughts and prayers for every school shooting. There's thoughts and prayers for every family who loses a loved one to drugs. There's thoughts and prayers to Anthony Bourdain's daughter today. It's not enough. It's not enough for the gun violent victims. It's not enough for the parents who lose their children. And it's not enough for Anthony Bourdain's daughter today. The depression, the people who suffer from depression in this society need to join together. The people who are, uh, who are devastated by, by the opiate epidemic need to join together. We need to stop asking the medical profession and the fucking government and the non-addicted, non-depressed part of the society to understand us and start taking responsibility for us and love each other. I'm so sick of like, we need to educate the public. I need to go on CNN today and talk about suicide and depression and drug addiction to a bunch of people who don't have it. Who gives a fuck? I'm talking to you people. You, my friends in Milwaukee who are drug addicted and sober for eight years, you've got depression and you fucking know it. I've got it. My friends have it. We need to take care of each other. And I'm telling you, we're the only ones that can solve it amongst ourselves. The greatest social movement in America was Alcoholics Anonymous in 1936 that has healed millions of people from a deadly disease. It was just a group of a hundred alcoholics who got together and said, nobody gives a fuck about us. We've got to start caring about each other. So I'm saying you with depression, you with addiction, you with, with anxiety, you need to stop turning to other people to solve your problems and turn to your brothers and sisters who have it and say, how the fuck do you get through the day? Without blowing your fucking head off or shooting dope or laying in bed in a fetal position crying. How do you get through the fucking day? I get through the day with Mike. I get through the day with Chuck. I get through the day with Chrissy. I get through the day with people who have the same things that I do and we talk. And we love one another. And we be there for one another. No fucking medicine does that. No fucking doctor can do that. We can do that. I'm so angry. I'm so sick of the bullshit. 
You know, we need to join together. You have social media, you have you have incredible ability to connect community, yet all we do is sit and watch Trump porn and whine and complain about nothing. Trump affects my life none. Nothing. I don't give a fuck who's president of the United States. Why does everybody sit around and watch five hours of Trump porn every night? Fuck him and fuck MSNBC. Let's start caring about one another. And it's fucking sad that Anthony Bourdain is dead. And so please... I'm not talking about if you're depressed today, call the suicide hotline. No, do that. That's fine. But that's not going to solve this or change this trend. There's about 2 million people who suffer from depression in the United States of America. I am one of them. Of that, there is a minor percentage, which is less than 50%, of people who have suicide ideation. I am that. We need to talk to each other. We need to put aside our pride and our success-oriented, superficial kind of life thing and talk to each other. There's something about two people, whether it was Bill and Bob or right now a new movement that we start and that I'm trying to start with Don't Die. I want us addicts to help these kids learn how to use drugs and not die or at least survive until they stop taking drugs. I also would love to see, it's the same thing, is us just starting to talk about suicide, honestly. You know, in 1936, alcoholism wasn't a thing that many people wanted to admit to or talk about. In 2018, suicide ideation is not something that many people want to admit to or talk about. Well, I'm telling you I've got it. I keep a suicide note I wrote to my son Elijah in my desk drawer. I remember that day where I thought he'd be better off without me. He wouldn't be, have been better off without me. It would be better if I survived and I tried to get stronger and I could be a dad to him for decades. But it takes friends and people and putting away of pride and asking, how do you get through the day? I'm not asking you, you what you think I should do. I'm asking you, what do you do when you get in that spot? And many people have told me all different kinds of answers. One was meditation, right? Um, I'm not so good at that. I do it sometimes. I don't do it other times. Um, But other people have told me, you know, great therapist. I've had that. I've had a magical therapist. And through that eight-year period of time when I had a magical therapist, my suicide idealization went much lower. It receded a lot. But as soon as that kind of relationship ended and I had achieved all I could achieve with that therapist, it slowly over the years started creeping back up. So what what does everybody have in common that has survived this, this depression and suicide idealization? It's other people. 
It's it, honestly, it's 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 about ten people that I know that I trust, that I love, that I know love me. That aside from whatever differences of opinion we have about politics or music or movies or or how to raise children or you know immunizations or whatever, there's about ten people on this planet that I trust, that I could talk to, that I know care about me. So I need to have keep in relationship with those people. Despair death is the leading cause of death for people my age, between the ages of 45 and I, I think uh, 61 or something. Despair death, they call it. Either death by drugs, death by suicide, death by gun violence. Um, I'm in that category. What am I immune? I, I realized I was in that category. I was like, oh, now I'm finally in a category where it is something you should pay attention to. And, you know, I've been extra active in maintaining relationships, even if it's through social media or texting with people who I know suffer like I do, right? We just have, and it's not always you're suffering and I need help. It's most of the time just joking around about things or talking about music or talking about, sadly, the last year about people that have killed themselves, and people who th have contemplated suicide seriously certainly know what those people that committed suicide were feeling and thinking. And so I just, I just think we, we need to stick together. I, I really do believe we need a new version of Alcoholics Anonymous in this country. We need a, a Mach 2. We need a, a more, more full and comprehensive, inclusive kind of um, 21st century version of that. Right. And, and I'm not down, I'm not talking down of AA. I think AA is a wonderful, fascinating, great thing. I think it, it doesn't work as well as a 21st century model could, which is brutal honesty. And let's get down to business, right? The business of love, the business of caring, not the business of a religion or a dogmatically quoted literature, just the, the business of loving and the business of, of caring and compassion towards one another. That's what works. That's what's at the core of every great social movement and every great religion is love and compassion, right? And when somebody gets so far in the darkness like I have been, like a lot of my friends have been, like obviously Anthony Bourdain was last night. Um, it's hard to get out of. We need to be constantly talking about it. There's a thing that I have with a few friends that have contemplated suicide that we've talked very deeply about it. And there's, there's just this look at when I see one of my it's mostly guy friends that that have this kind of we have this bond i look at them and i say are you okay and they look back and they you can kind of, i can kind of tell they're okay and they say yeah no i'm okay and a couple of times i've looked at somebody and said are you okay and they said no i'm not i've been fucked up for like a month and that, that, those pieces of connection amongst one another, I think, is something to do with how you stay alive 
when you suffer from depression and when you suffer from childhood trauma and abuse and when you have drug addiction and when you're trying to survive in this cacophony of madness that is American culture, right? So I just, I just had to get this off my chest. I think about suicide a lot. I don't have any plan. I don't really, you know, all that kind of clinical stuff. I had an interesting thing. So when I became certified as a drug and alcohol counselor, <coughs> part of it is the ability to assess a person to, um, to, for suicide ideation, you know, and you can kind of determine and refer to a social worker to be assessed for a hold, it's called. And I remember, this is, in the, this is about 15 years ago, like thinking, this is crazy. You can't really predict who's going to kill themselves. And Dr. Drew was like, no, no, no. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's hard, but there are warning signs and there is an assessment tool and, and you, can, you can pretty much kind of prognosticate, right? And I said, well, okay. So I did it for years. I was the first person to assess somebody um, in the chemical dependency thing unit. So most of the time, you know, even if somebody had was thinking of harming themselves, they didn't have a plan, or they didn't have access to a plan, or or they would backpedal from that, right? And and usually I believed it, right? But about eight years into my tenure there, um, one of my clients killed himself. I was shocked. I had just um, run a group with him the day before. And, and I loved this guy. This guy was great. I knew him from private life also. And, and I was just so shocked. And I learned a lot from that, that he had made the decision and and. A lot of times when people make the decision to do it, they brighten up and they present a lot more up than they usually are. Um, and this is a guy who was always funny and sarcastic and kind of a, kind of a like me type personality. And all of a sudden he was very optimistic and he talked very positively and very glowingly of recovery and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh my God, I, I, you know, it's, I remember making a mental note the day before he killed himself, that, oh my God, he's really turning things around. And then when I got the call, I was like, oh my God, I just saw him yesterday and he was so in such a good mood. And, you know, obviously I've learned a lot since then that about, about the, the sort, of, sort of warning signs. Um, and that's why when I read reports of what, of, of the you know whether it's Kate Spade or Robin Williams or or Chris Cornell all this kind of positive it came out of the blue it's just you know it's it's so surprising and so shocking and like if somebody has depression and childhood sexual and physical abuse and drug addiction it doesn't get better it just becomes manageable for some reason we're a society that thinks and we're proselytized from the medical profession and from big pharma 
that somehow you heal from this or you get better from this or that or or it goes away i've had it since i was 13 years old i'm 57 it doesn't go away it becomes manageable it like i said for years and years i i really didn't think about it and it really didn't profoundly affect me but Life is an ever-evolving, ever-changing, tied-in, tied-out, as Dave Navarro put it this morning in his open letter about depression and, and suicide. It's, it's ever-evolving, and you're aging, and things around you are changing, and the society is evolving, and your depression is a part of this big mix, and your addiction and your finances and your life and divorce and children and and parents dying and all of this thing is just keeps rolling and keeps swirling so yeah you might go through a good patch of four or five years where things are good that doesn't mean it's going to be good for till you're 80 that just means you were lucky to go through a great period of grace and then things change and things shift. And we are not a society that believes in change, believes in evol- an evolutionary kind of uh, things. We're, we believe real simple cartoon-like ideas about things. And I expect more from the addict community. I expect more from, from the people who suffer from depression. I expect more from us than to think life is some fuck black and white cartoon. That life is some simple equation, two plus two equals four, and then you retire and you have your 401k and, and you have a white picket fence and everybody lives happily ever after. Nobody lives happily ever after. There's no such thing. It's movie lore. It's mythology. Life has pain and suffering in each day, great joy, great sadness in each week it ebbs and it flows things change and grow and and devolve it's constantly moving and and you have to move with it you you've got to stop thinking that everything's going to be the same as it was in 1985 or or 2002 or why is things why are things different because they're different because they change because the environment changes, the climate changes, the weather changes, people change. People come in, in your, into your life and out of your life. Children go from completely dependent on you to telling you to fuck off. All of this is swirling and changing all around us. And you have to be able to roll with it. You have to be able to see it for what it is, which is life. It's just life. And, and, and I just believe that we, we are being brainwashed by, by this cartoon-like fantasy, and it's getting worse. I don't think we're getting smarter. I think we're getting dumber. I think everybody's kind of on that page. Like, you know, I, I, I just think that things are not cartoon-like. Money does not equate to happiness. Uh, uh, you know, love is something that takes takes effort and takes and takes attention and takes nurturing and takes encouragement and takes and takes it takes work to 
have a long-term relationship love interest. It's not, it's just not like you fall in love and then it just stays like that for 30 years. That's not true. Talk to anybody that has a 30-year marriage. It's not true. We believe so many lies in this society. And the one lie that, that I think kills people is that you shouldn't, you shouldn't tell anybody what you're feeling. No, you should tell people. If you're having a hard time, you let people know. Here's an interesting thing that I've always noticed. We always ask people, how you doing? Hey, man, how you doing? And then if somebody really tells you how they're doing that's not positive, you're like, whoa, 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 I didn't expect all this. Don't ask how you're doing to people if you don't want an honest response. And so I, I think I would start right there. If people ask you how you're doing and you're having a shitty day, tell them. If people ask how you're doing and you're thinking about killing yourself, tell them. Even if you don't like them, even if they're like almost a stranger, say it. We need to get more honest with what's going on with us as individuals with each other. Instead of all these pleasantries, how you doing? Oh, good, man. How you doing? Okay, good. Good, dude. How you doing? Oh, I'm good. How you doing? Good. How you doing? I'm good. Things are good. How you doing? Oh, great, man. It's good. It's good. Okay. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Okay. So we're all good. If we're all good, how come so many people are suffering in the dark, in the silence, in isolation that nobody knows about? How come? False pride. A society that really doesn't care. How about that? You know, false pride says, um, I'm not going to tell people how I'm doing because they don't care. But in the, in the suggestion in that is that people really do care. What if people really don't care? I believe most people don't care. I'm saying to us, the afflicted, to us, the sufferers, to us, the addicted, we need to care. I need to care about you. You need to care about me. And in that mutual caring comes survival. So there's a motivation for me to care about you, right? I know it sounds selfish or whatever, or counter to what we're used to, just unconditional goodness. No, I need to care about people. And then in that exchange amongst like-minded people or like-minded sufferers, like people with afflicted with depression, addiction, anxiety, um, trauma, in caring about you, you're going to care about me. An exchange of caring. And I think we can change things. But I don't think Big Pharma can. I don't think any fucking doctor in this country can. I don't think... Um, the status quo of helping field slash rehab slash religion slash, I don't, I don't think any of that is really ideally to serve this purpose. I think there needs to be a new group of people and, um, that just rise up and say, you know what? 
you know, because I'm, I'm telling you, I started this podcast saying I've thought about, I've, I have thought seriously about killing myself in the last 90 days. Seriously. What is the point? Fuck it. I can't take it anymore. I, 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 fuck this. I just want to end this suffering. I have thought those thoughts in the last 90 days. I did not act on them because I've had them a thousand times. And, you know, sometimes it's simple, like I got kids that can't do that. Sometimes it's hard. Um, you know, but let me tell you something. Dave Navarro, Dickie, Mike, Pete, Keith, these are the people that saved me. Get some people around you that you trust, not that work for you, not that you work for, not, uh, not people that you barely know, not your next door neighbor that you don't, you don't really have that good a relationship with. Don't think that those people are the people. It's got to be the real people. You've got to build a team of real people that you'll listen to. And some days I was going through it in 2001 and, and somebody very close in my life for most of my adult life just said, Bob, you need to grow up and stop being a baby. Now, ideally, clinically, that's not the best thing to say to somebody who's on the verge of killing themselves. But I, I have such a relationship with this guy that it was the right thing for him to say at the right time. And I said, you're right. Now, it's not as simple as that, being a baby and need to grow up. But there, there was something more to that, that he cared enough to be upset with me was, was a big, powerful thing. Because I had thought, oh, he doesn't really care about me. He was, he was frustrated. He rode along with me for about three days with this. And he finally just said, you need to fucking stop being a baby. Now, he wasn't saying having depression is being a baby, like all you politically correct people would nitpick this apart. He was saying, I don't know what to do, Bob. I love you and I care about you. And I don't know what to fucking say. That is love, people. And it came out, you need to fucking grow up and stop being a baby because that's a, the only thing he knew how to say. But I knew what he was saying. So people who suffer, let's fucking reach out to each other. I'm around. You can email me at rehabbob.com or cries and whispers at Hotmail. Um... C-R-I-E-S-A-N-D-W-H-I-S-P-E-R-S. And somebody, some of you younger people would know, why would a fucking guy have a really hard to, 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 to spell like uh, email account? It's because of the first, it's the only email account I've ever had. It was an ex-girlfriend of mine was saying, you need to have an email. This is 20 years ago. And I was like, Nah, I don't want to email. Email just sounds so complicated. And she's like, no, just tell me. I'm going to make you an email. What, what do you want it to be? And cries and whispers is my favorite 
one of my favorite movies of all times, and I just watched it the night before. It's an Ingmar Bergman movie about a woman dying. Uh, um, it's a beautiful, it's just a beautiful movie called Cries and Whispers. And I'd watch it, and I said, oh, then can it be Cries and Whispers? Like this movie. And she said, why would you want that? And I go, because I'll always remember that. Because Cries and Whispers is one of my favorite movies. And she's tried to explain to me, like, no, it's it's f so that you can simply tell people what your email is. Why don't you just be bobforest at hotmail.com? And I was like, no, I want it to be Cries and Whispers. So for 20 years, I've been sp spelling that out. C-R-I-E-S-A-N-D-W-H-I-S-P-E-R-S at hotmail.com. So that's my email. I also have the rehabbob.com email. You can call me at 213-AREA-CODE, 804-3843. That's my personal cell phone sitting right here. 213-804-3843. You can mostly text me. I don't even have my ringer on. I don't really answer. But if you do call, leave a voice message. I'll call you back. But more, you can text me at 213-804-3843, 24 hours a day. I'll get it, you know. You know how we are with our phones. And when you reach out to me, it might help me. That's the other thing that people, when I'm trying to say, talk to people who have the problems, talk to people who suffer. A lot of times people have called me when I'm going through a bad time or reached out to me when I'm thinking about it. And it pulls me out of it to a certain extent because there is a natural compassion that some people have that I have towards other suffering people. When you say, you know, I'm thinking about killing myself, I'm like, ah, oh, dude, don't do that. Even though I might have been thinking about it at the same time. Just like what happened with my friend Dickie and I. Right? So think about it. Reach out to me. Reach out to friends. Start developing true, meaningful uh, you know, friendships with people that, that you have, you broach this subject already. Like, dude, you know, I ask everyone I know, I know who suffers from depression in my life and who doesn't, because inevitably, no, no matter what, no matter if it's a new acquaintance or a long-term friend, I know whether they've, they've contemplated suicide because I ask them. I asked one of my best friends 30 years ago, you ever think about killing yourself? And he was like, no, why do you? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh my God, that's so sad. And I asked him 10 years after that, 20 years ago, dude, you ever think, you ever think about killing yourself now? No, never have. I asked him 10 years ago, dude, you must think about killing yourself now, don't you? And he goes, no, I don't. You keep asking me that question. No, I don't. Whatever it is that you have, and he mentioned a couple other friends, whatever it is, I just don't have it. I, I, you know, I hope you feel comfortable enough to call me if you're really thinking about doing that. And I go, yeah, I kind of do. kind of don't. But, <laughs> but, but I know that he doesn't have it. Um, a lot of my friends don't have it. A lot of people in AA don't have it. When you ask them, have you ever thought about killing yourself? And their response is so surprised and so absolute, no, 
you know that they don't suffer from depression. Yeah, they might get sad, but they don't have this. They don't have this. They don't have what Anthony Bourdain had, right? So so I now know pretty much who in my, Chrissy, my wife, does not have it. Never has thought about it ever. Can't even comprehend thinking that way, right? So, so, you know, there are a lot of people, luckily in our society, that don't ever contemplate it, don't ever think about it. What a blessing that is for them. One of my business partners never th thought of that. Can't even understand. Texted me this morning, can you believe about Anthony Bourdain? Now, totally, I can. I can totally understand. My business partner, it's like it's mind-blowing to him. Why would somebody do that? Right? And then as the morning wore on, you know, posts from Dave Navarro, posts from people I know who suffer like this, and they're kind of compassionate statements about depression, suicide, reach out for help, all that kind of stuff. The normal people who don't contemplate it were like in disbelief. And I saw it at 4.30 this morning on CNN. I had, I fell asleep with it on or something and it was on and I just sat up and I was like, I understand that. I understand that. I hope it's never me. So I hope it's never you. Let's kind of reach out to one another. Let's kind of hold each other close. Let's hold each other in our compassionate hearts because I don't think the regular world is going to be able to fix this thing. Um, I went to my first psychiatrist visit when I was 13 in 1974. I was diagnosed as gravely emotionally disturbed. I think they've changed that. I think that's a very brutal title for it. Gravely emotionally disturbed. I think it was emotionally disturbed as a category and then gravely, which whatever that means. Sounds like suicidal to me. Um, and, you know, and I've been dealing with it for for the better part of 44 years and I'm still alive and I'm here for you and I hope you're here for me there for me and let's let's kind of try to save each other all right so the don't die podcast is brought to you by aloe treatment centers today's special um special uh episode is about suicide I hope it wasn't too depressing um, but it's real, people. Suicide is real. Opiate overdose death is real. And we need to fucking do something about it. And I'm here and I'm open to suggestions. You can um, start your own Don't Die chapter wherever you want, wherever you are. You can say whatever you want as long as you care about like reducing the death rate and helping enlighten the addict population and, and uh, making a difference do whatever you want to do and you know however you want to say it and and i support you and we support you and i think that a side component of this don't die movement has to be somehow addressed in the in the increase in suicides so let's keep our suffering brothers and sisters in mind today and uh i'm gonna go next door and try to cheer up 
Have a good day.